pray. Father God, um, man, we stand before you the only way we can because of the, um, the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, and we give you praise and glory. Lord, our, our lives, we, we so desperately want to give you glory. Lord, let your spirit overwhelm us to that end. Lord, as we continue to worship You in Your Word now, I pray that that what we do not yet know, You would teach us. What we lack, You would give us. What we can't see, You would show us. And what we are not yet conformed into the image of Your Son, You would make us so that our lives could bring You great glory. For the fame and the glory of the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, we pray these things. And all God's people together with me said... Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the Word of God. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus chosen by God to be an apostle sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line, and he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through Christ, God has given us a privilege and authority as apostles to the Gentiles everywhere that God has, what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey his name, bringing glory to his name. And you are included among those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I am writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his own people. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Let me first say that I thank you that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart by spreading the good news about his son. One of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing to come to see, to last at last to see you for I long to visit you and I can bring you some spiritual gift and that I will help you to grow strong in the Lord when we get together I want to encourage you in your faith but I also want to be encouraged by yours I want you to know dear brothers and sisters that I plan many times to visit you but I was prevented until now I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit just as I've just as I've seen from many other gentiles for I have a great sense of obligation to the people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to, edu- to the educated and the uneducated alike. So I'm eager to you to come in Rome to, to preach a good news. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news about Christ, and the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us about tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say as the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Amen. Thank you, Christian, and thank you, the Apostle Paul. Please be seated. Grab your Bibles. Find Romans. Believe it or not, we are back in the book of Romans after a couple of months off. Um, um, Romans is a book that was written by the Apostle Paul about uh, 20 years after he came to faith in Christ. I'm not going to go back through all the history of Paul's life, but but understand that that many Bible scholars believe that that, um, Romans 
is maybe the most important book in all the Bible. Now, all of Scripture is inspired by God. That makes it all important. But Romans in particular, a lot of, why, um, a, a lot of reasons that, that scholars see it as the most important book is because it, it very, probably in one book of the Bible most clearly articulates, here's what the Gospel is. That's the first 11 chapters. And then this, the last third of the book, Romans 12 through 16 is, now here's what the gospel does. And so we, we are calling this, um, we actually started this series a year ago, and we're calling it the gospel, um, righteousness revealed in the gospel of Romans. And some people are like, well, wait a minute, but the gospel, like the Romans is not a gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are a gospel. No, the gospel is just the word in Greek, euangelion. It means the good news. It's not a title. In other words, it's the gospel of Matthew isn't really a t it's not the title of the book. It's saying the good news according to Matthew. Mark, it's the good news according to Mark and so on. So when, you, when I say the, the righteous revealed in the gospel of Romans, what we really mean by that is here's the good news as it is conveyed by the Apostle Paul in great detail. The gospel is a proclamation. Right? It, is, it is what, it is what um, Jeff led us into in our training time. It's what our prayer time was about. Um, it was what even just our music was about. It is proclaiming the goodness of God. In fact, Paul says in, in Acts 20, 24, it's the verse I've grabbed a hold of for me for this year. He says, I li my life is worth nothing unless I use it for the purpose for which I have been called. And that is to tell other people the good news, the euangelion of the amazing grace of God. Like if, like, and, and I'm praying that, that that thought would permeate what Jeff was really trying to press into us during the training time, that would permeate our souls. That we would be so moved by the gospel that we couldn't not share the gospel. We are a church that has always, always ever been about the Word of God and about sharing that Word, which the Word of God is the gospel, from beginning to end, the good news of how God saves sinners. And we've always been about that. We've done series on things like the five solas. We believe that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the word of God alone, for the glory of God alone. Amen. Right? That is the reason we exist. If we're not here to know the gospel meaning and be moved by the gospel and our relationship with God so that we can go share the gospel, then I'm curious, like, why we're here. Right? The weather is, I mean, it's a little chilly this morning, but it's, you know, we live in a beautiful place. There's things, there's lots of things we could be doing on a Sunday morning. We are here to be inspired. I'm not, not by me. By the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, we are here to be inspired that we might go out and live changed lives. I'm not talking morality. I'm talking relationship with, a relationship with God that is so evident people can't help but see it in you. So that they would ask you questions about it. That's why we're here today. That's my hope today. So if you look at your first um, talking points question, they're on the back of your bulletin insert, kind of our discussion. Um, a couple of our talking points will be discussion. One of them will be more reflexive. Uh, but the first one just says this. What keeps you from sharing the euangelion, the, the, the gospel? That's how the Greek looks in, in the good news of the gospel. What keeps you from sharing it? And, and Jeff led us into that you now fear and, and, and perhaps like getting in trouble at work or at school, all kinds of things. So I want to focus more on the second part. How does the church 
sometimes find itself guilty of the good people getting in the way of the gospel. Like, how do we, sometimes the church, the church is not this building. This building was a diesel mechanic shop a year and a half ago, right? It's not about the, that's what I mean by, I mean by church. We are the church. So how does the church sometimes get in the way because the good people get in the way of the gospel? How does that happen? Like, in what ways does that show itself sometimes? I'm asking. Good. So Jamie says, when Paul is talking to Cephas and he's talking about, well, you're living in this fear of man. Like you're putting stumbling blocks in the, in the way of the gospel. You're telling people, hey, you need to get, get right. Like you need, to, you need to act right before God will help you get right. Instead of turning it the other way around and going, God will make you right. And eventually your behavior will conform into the image of the person he's making you into, who is Jesus. Good. What else? So it's, a, I, I'm, it's like he's like the vending machine God, right? So I'm, how, what can I get from God instead of what can I, how can I be used by God? Right? And here's, what's so, here's what's so ironic about that. We're all guilty of that at different levels. Like, I mean, there are times I've been a believer now for 20 plus years. Um, I've been pastoring a church now for 16 plus years. And, and there are still times where I slip into this, you know, God, you're really lucky to have me on your team. Right? Like, seriously, come on. I mean, really, I mean, I'm good, right? Like, and then you go, wait, wait, what? You know, and you realize where that's coming from. And so we, we, we all can slip into that. The question is, what do we do then, one, in that moment, and two, how do we keep those moments from happening? So, one, so, so it is, the, the irony of it is, uh, to Adam's point, is the more we come to God and go, how can I be used by you, the more we actually get from God. I'm not talking materialistic stuff. It can be. I'm just talking about your relationship. If you want to grow in your relationship with the Lord, if you want Jesus to be real to you, start giving your life away to other people and watch how real he gets. It's crazy. The low I am with you always in Matthew 28, 20, because it's, it's in other words, you want, to be, you want that kind of withness with Jesus? Then do the verse before it. Go and make disciples. That's why he'll be with you. Right? Okay, so um, I wrote down a couple other things too. And, and, and it's so funny how I, and I wrote these down this morning, having no conversation with Jeff or even with our prayer time. Well, I didn't know where the Holy Spirit was going to take our prayer time. I didn't know how, what Jeff was going to do during prayer time. But here's what's interesting I wrote this down. We are not nearly excited enough about our salvation. Amen. Right? Like, and, 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 and what was the first hour of our gathered time really about? People, we're not nearly excited enough about what Jesus has done for us. Right, and, and part of the, but here's part of why, guys, and, and I'm not going to get off on this little soapbox of mine, but it's because Christianity has become far more about culture, about like our current culture in the world, than about God's eternal glory. Right, so we are measuring Christianity, our personal Christianity, how the church is doing in America, all those things are being, are being measured through this barometer that is, how is our culture doing? Well, we all know the answer to that one. The culture is spinning down, which shouldn't surprise us because Jesus said it would, but because we've defined Christianity that way, it starts to feel like Jesus is losing. Right? And instead, what we got to say is, no, Christianity has only ever been the, the, the Christ's coming, the gospel, that Christ came to save sinners, has only ever been about the good news that he is the one who does what only he can do. 
for his glory. The story is about him, not us. And that, honestly, in our hearts of heart, in our heart of hearts, just isn't something we like to talk about much. So today, what we're going to do, because it has been two months since we've been in, in really been, been in Romans, is we're going to review Romans again. And I'm and so I'm asking the question today. If the gospel really is this most, if this whole thing from beginning to end is the story of how God saves sinners, that is the good news of the gospel, and it's an amazing story, the greatest story ever told, like the movie said, right? Then what is it? And we're going to quit. So, by way of one, reviewing and rehearsing the gospel, and two, we're going to, so that, that'll help us, that'll help strengthen us. Hey guys, we should never tire of hearing the, the, the story of the gospel. Like, if you're sitting here right now and you're going, okay, not this again, I'm just going to right now, Lord, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus that the people that are in this room, that maybe, maybe there are some in this room that don't care. They don't care about the gospel. I pray that today would be the day that they would care. Maybe there are some that don't know the gospel. I, tell you, I pray, as Jeff prayed earlier, that today would be the day that their spiritual hearts would be enlightened to the truth of the gospel. And for those that, that do know, and do care, but are just so distracted. I pray that today would be the day that, that the gospel message wouldn't be, oh, not that again, but it would actually be what it's meant to be, and that is a call to action for them. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, we should never, ever tire of hearing this story. So the way Paul tells the story in Romans is through these five therefore statements. So we are going to be in the Bible. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Somebody will put a Bible in it. Just keep it up until somebody puts a Bible in it. Because, guys, I'm going to be reading a lot of Scripture today, but you will be better. You will be better off if you read it too. Don't just listen to it, but read it. So raise your hand, and, and somebody will put a Bible in it, and find the gospel, or find Romans. Romans is after what we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, big book of Acts, Romans. We're going to start in Romans 1. We're going to go through five therefore statements. Our first therefore statement is in Romans 1, and it says, therefore, we have a righteousness problem. Therefore, we have a righteousness problem. So um, the last two verses that Christian read were, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, um, the fir- to the Jew first and then to the Greek or to the rest of the world, is me- meaning the, g- the good news came to the Jewish people first, then to everybody else. And then he says, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Right, so, so one, we have to find out what, so when I, when I ask this, when I say in this statement, therefore, this first therefore is therefore we have a righteousness problem. Let me back up and, and, and remind you what righteousness is. Righteousness is the Greek word um, dikaiosune. It's the same word as justice or just, which is dikaio in the Greek. So, the, so when you hear the word righteousness, it means be made right. It's the same idea as being made just or, or, or having justice done. One of the ways that helped me think about it is the opposite of righteousness or justice is lawlessness. So what he's saying is when he says in the gospel, in verse 6, 17 of chapter 1, when he's saying in the good news, the righteousness of God, he's saying that the, this idea that the anti-lawlessness, that there is no lawlessness with God is a right, just God. Everything he does is right and good. Psalm 100. He's saying as opposed to, and this is where he's going to go, he starts, frankly, where the Bible starts, with creation. So let's pick it up in verse 18 and see our righteousness problem. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, you could think like unlawfulness, the anti-righteousness, and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress 
the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever, um, ever since the creation of the world, even in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. And I'm not going to go back through my whole backstory, but guys, for the first half of, I turned 54 yesterday, for the first half of those 54 years, I was a God-mocking atheist. I, I, my undergraduate degree is in biology and chemistry. I was trained in evolution. I taught evolution. I was one of these people that even though God is clearly evident in creation, the spirit, the, my eyes had been darkened by the, by the God of this world who darkens the, the eyes of the unbeliever, that was me in my 20s, to keep me from seeing the glory that is the gospel. That's what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians. If you're sitting here today and you're looking out at creation and you're going, isn't it amazing what evolution did? I'm just here to tell you, the only reason you believe that is because somebody told you it was true. It's the only reason I believed it. I'm here to tell you, not, as, not even as a theologian or as a pastor, I'm here to tell you as a scientist. It doesn't work. I said I wasn't going to talk about this, didn't I? Guys, I'm telling you, evolution is not possible. And even, even non-Christian, like, I'm not talking about non-Christian scientists will have, have, start, have come out and said that. The problem is their articles don't get published because it doesn't fit the narrative because the narrative is get rid of God. The reason, the reason Marxists, went, when, they take, when they take over a country, teach evolution and not Marxism first is because they've got to get rid of God. That's where that comes from. And so then, once you get rid of God, who becomes the God? The government. That's what we see going on in our world over the last couple hundred years. But the bottom line is, Paul's, Paul, I, I love how 2,000 years ago, Paul's like, people, this is not like, Darwin didn't invent this problem. It, this is way before Charles Darwin lived. And then he goes, oh, I, I'm going to keep going, I'm taking too long. He says, his invisible attributes, his, I'm, I'm sorry, so his invisible attributes, verse 20, Namely, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Guys, that, 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 is, that was me. That is you. If that is you today, man, I would love to sit down and talk more with you about that because I, I, I know how powerful that particular lie that we came from nothing, not from God, how it affects everything about the rest of your life. For although they knew God, they did not honor God and, or give thanks for him, for they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. So here, I mean, I, was, I still am far too prideful and arrogant. 20-something years of walking with the Lord. When I was a 23-year-old atheist who didn't believe, I mean, like you, you didn't meet a more pugnacious, argumentative, prideful, arrogant person than this one right here. Oh man, I didn't need God because I was just smarter than him. What do I need God for? Right? What a, what a, became fools. What a fool I was. Right? What a fool I was. So, it says, and here's, they exchanged the glory of God for immorality, because that's ultimately why we do it, is because we just want to live our lives our way. For images resembling mortal man and birds, so they were, we, start, we become idol worshipers. Therefore, verse 24, God gave them over to the lust of their hearts, to the impurity and dishonoring of their bodies to themselves. So they just, he, God's like, okay, if you want to live your life, let's see how that works for you. Go ahead. And then he says, 
Because they, now this is the human problem right now. They exchanged, it always has been, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Guys, we are all worshipers all the time. Everybody in this room is always worshiping something in every moment of your life. The only question is what? Right? I don't mean, you don't have to believe in God yet. Like we are all worshipers. We were made that way. So the only question becomes what? Now keep your finger in Romans. I want to show you, Paul's just pulling the story forward all the way literally from the beginning. Go to Genesis chapter 3. Easy to find. First book of your Bible. Second, third chapter. So in chapters 1 and 2, God creates everything. We're not going to spend any time on that. Other than to say, he creates male and female, Adam and Eve, in his image, in the image of the triune Godhead, and he says, then it was very good. And then, in, and then we don't know how much time goes on or passes before chapter 3 starts, but it says this, Now the serpent, so I'm in chapter 3, verse 1 of Genesis, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord had made. The serpent, serpent is Satan. He said to the woman, Do, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of the fruit of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of this tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. Now get this. This is, this is exchanging the truth of God for a lie. This is what the enemy does. For God knows that when you eat, of, that when you eat your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. And what they should have said is... We already are. We were made in his image. We have not fallen yet. They should have said, we already are. What they did was, they went, hmm, but if I can be like God, then I can worship me. And guys, we are all worshipers, and the number one thing we worship is me. Is you, like you worship yourself. We are all idol, idol worshipers, and your biggest idol is you. It's just, it's, and, and mine is too. It's just the way it is. So, we have a righteousness problem. Therefore, and this is our second therefore statement, therefore God is just or righteous in his judgment. So since we have a righteousness problem, all the way back in the garden, Genesis chapter 3, but guys, we didn't, yes, we were infected by their rebellion. We inherited this brokenness. But we partner in it. Don't let, don't, we don't get to play the blame game. The devil did not make you buy that dress, and you did not, and, and, and Adam and Eve's sin isn't what, ma isn't what made you a sinner. I mean, we are all part of this broken world, but we, we engage willingly in the brokenness, and we need to own that. And if, we, and if you're sitting here today going, I'm not, that's your problem right there. That is the problem you're facing. It is called pride, and it is the complete anti-God state of mind. And it is exactly where I was for the first half of my life. So in Romans chapter 2, so we're going to keep going. In Romans chapter 2, he says this, Therefore we have, so this is the second therefore, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on one another you condemn yourself, because you who judge practice the very same thing. You, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Guys, we all want, and I've, and I've taught on all of this, that's why we're going quickly. Guys, and you can go back and listen to these messages online. Guys, we all want justice. We all want, we all, if you believe in God, you want God to be just. You don't want God to let anybody get away 
with like hor um, horrendous things. Like, like the picture we always, the people person we always use is Hitler. We don't want Hitler to get away with what Hitler did. There's no justice in that. We all want justice. That's Paul's argument in chapter 2. He's like, guys, you all want justice. The thing is, you want to be the one who decides where the line is. Like, judge them for that thing, but let me slide on this thing. Because in my mind, that thing is a bigger sin than this thing. There's, Paul makes clear in Galatians, he's like, guys, there's no degrees of sin. God did not give us the power or the authority to score keep. He didn't mean to. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's where Paul goes next. So look at chapter 3, verse 10. We all deserve judgment. So Paul's going to make this argument. We have a, we have a righteousness problem. We, are, we live in lawlessness. We want a God who would judge that. That's chapter 2. Or at least part of chapter 2. So then, he, so then that leads to... Then he's, Paul, Paul does a masterful work in Romans because then he's like, so now here's what you're going to say. So what's the line of judgment? And can I slide in under the line? And most religions of the world, in fact, all religions of the world except for Christianity, that's how they're set up. They are set up to help you figure out exactly what you have to do to slide in under the line. Scorekeeping. And guys, you don't even have to be in one of those religions. You can be, not an atheist, but an agnostic and go, yeah, I believe that there is a God and I believe that he is just and good, but I believe that I've lived a basically good life and that I'm a morally good person and at least I'm better than that guy or I'm better than that woman. And so, so obviously in the grand scheme of the balance of the cosmos, I'm going to come out on the good side. Except that, one, the worst person to, to, um, to evaluate your level of sin is you about whether you're better or worse than those people and me. And here's the other thing. What we fail to realize, because we cannot even comprehend, it isn't anything about me relative to Michael or me relative to Don. It's about me relative to God. And God is perfectly glorious. All have sinned and fall short of His glory. Not some concept of world glory, not even some standard of glory that God told the world to follow and we fell under that. It's His glory. None of us can attain that glory because He is perfect. He is God. That's why He had to come here as a man, die on a cross, a death He did not deserve so that we might live His life. Right? Like That's the Gospel. So in chapter, in chapter 3, verse 10, when Paul says... It is written, so he's trying, to make, he's trying to preempt the argument, and he's saying, so you want to know where the line is? Here's the line, guys. Everyone's under it. Because, because God is so glorious. He's like, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands or seeks God. I'm in verse 12 now of chapter 3. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. They do not do good, not even one. It's like, it's like he's, he's quoting some Old Testament, but he's also pounding this point home. He's like, their throat is an open grave. Their tongues deceive. Their venom is like asps. It, it, under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their path is our ruin and misery. Now, guys, if you're sitting here today going, wow, yeah, those people don't deserve God. Like, because even early in my Christian experience, I would read passages like that and I, would, and I would immediately start thinking about all of the bad people in the world. 
Like all these things that are going on, all the stuff the news brings to us. And go, yeah, those, yeah, you're right, Paul. Like those people, man, yeah, they're, yeah, wow. Like seriously, like, you know, what are we going to do about them? His whole point is you're them. His whole point is we're them. His whole point in chapter 7 is going to be I'm them. But thanks be to God, right? So that, that's, that is the gospel. So if you go to, um, back to, go, so, so keep your finger in, in Romans, go back to um, Genesis chapter 3. So where I left you in Genesis chapter 3 was, um, this was Satan was like, well, he just knows you're going to be like them. Now look at what happens in, in verse 6. So when the man, so when the woman, sorry, saw, so look, there, there it is, saw, that's a huge thing. So, so, so he's like, so God tells them, don't eat it, don't touch it, just avoid it. Well, she's looking at it, that the, that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Guys, um, the Apostle John in John 1, John in 1 John 2, 16, I think it is. John, would, John our, our elder John would remember, but um, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, they are the things that undo us. That's what undid Adam and Eve. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. They looked and they went, hmm, that looks good, I want it. So since I want it, it must be right. Right? And they also went, oh, I want to be like God, the pride of life, so I'm going to do what God has told me not to do so I can be my own God. We, are, we all fall into that. That's ultimately the point. Paul is trying to press this point home over and over and over again of saying, guys, so we have a righteousness problem. God is a just judge, and we're all rebels. What are we going to do about that? Right? Like, what, like what, what is God going to do about that? And that's where he's going to go next in chapter 4. But before we get there, look at your second talking points question. This is just a reflection one. It says, we have a really, really big problem. The, the Bible calls it sin, falling short of God's glory. And remember, that is, that is part of our struggle is we don't really comprehend the glory of God. So, so we start thinking that somehow we don't fall that short. Right? The best person who's ever lived ever that wasn't Jesus falls infinitely short of the glory of God. We also call that brokenness. That the world, like, so, so when you're struggling with sin, when you're, struggling, when you're wondering why is there cancer in the world, why did you get that terminal, you know, why did you get that um, you know, health problems, why are there earthquakes, why, the, the world is broken. God didn't make it that way. Our rebellion caused that. Right? Our world is broken. You are broken. I am broken. But here's the good news. Christ is in the business of making broken things beautiful. Do you spend more time, but here's the part I just want you to reflect on. Do you spend more time thinking about the brokenness, like your own brokenness and the world's brokenness, or about God's amazing grace? So just take a minute. Like, stop. I want you to think, like, like, how are you spending, what are you listening to? What's on your television? Right? Like, like the, what, what, what media, all forms of media, television, social media, it is trying to overwhelm us with the reminder that the world is broken. Because here's, the, Jesus said it, the thief came, thief, G, Satan, came to kill, steal, and destroy. And the thing, here's what he steals. This is what he steals. He steals your joy. He robs you of your hope. Right? And he tries to keep you from trusting the word of God. 
Like he is constantly, those are the things he goes after. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to rob you of any hope in the world. And he's constantly trying to get you to doubt your trust. That's what he did in the garden to Adam and Eve. And guys, we cannot come from that position of being overwhelmed with that kind of information on our phones and on our TVs and whatever else in conversations we're having where we're dwelling too much on the negative and then walk out and go, hey man, can I just tell you that there's a God in heaven and he loves you. It's, he's awesome. And, and he made the world and it's going to be beautiful. That's not, my, that's not my countenance at that point. Right? Like, like I, I, more, I far more quickly will jump when, when, that, when I say, so how are you doing today? And they're like, well, I'm having a rough day. And I'm like, yeah, I, man, the life is hard. And, and all of a sudden, no, there's no God conversation going on anymore. It's all about, it's all about because, because I'm feeling the same pain they're feeling. Because being a Christian doesn't stop the reality of, of the world stinking. Right? It, being a Christian doesn't make your life easier. It makes your eternity great. Right? But it doesn't make life now necessarily any easier. In fact, if anything, it'll make it harder. That's what we see in Scripture. So, okay, our, our propensity for rebellion um, comes up over and over and over again in this book. Right? From, from Genesis 4 on, the human, humanity's propensity to rebel against God is a huge part of the story. But you know what else is? You know what's the, the overwhelming part of the story? God's pursuing grace. From, it's not a New Testament. From the Old Testament on, it's this constant story of God pursuing, God pursuing, God pursuing, God pursuing our brokenness, our rebellion. Right? That's why there's so much here. Because he's trying to show us, I am a gracious, long-suffering God. God's solution, the euangelion, is the only solution. Like It is the overwhelming solution he has put in his word. So with that, look at our next therefore. So the, the, the third therefore, so if, if the second one was that, um, that God is a righteous judge, or that, we, um, that, God is, yeah, that God is a righteous judge, then our third therefore is God applies Christ's righteousness to us. Now, I'm not going to go through chapter 4 of Romans, so I'm back in Romans, chapter 4. In chapter 4, Paul starts telling the story of Abraham. He's saying through Abraham, through this seed that was promised in Genesis 3.15, in Genesis 12, he promises the seed to Abraham. And, he, and, and, then, and, then, in Romans, and then in Romans 4, um, I'll just read, he says, in Romans 4, verse, uh, let's see, let's look at verse 18. In hope against hope, he believed that he is Abraham, that he would become the father of many nations. Now look, now jump down to um, verse 21. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised him, that through what he promised to Abraham, if you don't know the story was, through you, Abraham, through your seed, through your offspring, all of the nations of the world will be blessed through my son who's going to come. We don't have time to get into all that today. He says that, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. So so Abraham, so right away Paul's going, the, the, the way you are made right with God is by believing in a promise from God, but not just any promise, it's the promise. And it's the promise that his son is going to come and redeem all that was lost in the rebellion. That's the point he makes in Romans chapter 4. Then we get to Romans 5 and he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Now remember that word justified is dikaio in the Greek. Dikaiosune is righteousness. It's the same principle. He's saying, therefore, since you've been made righteous, since you've been justified by faith, you now this is the beautiful part. Because what God has done, you have peace, shalom, with Christ, or with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, you have, been, you have obtained access 
by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope, in the hope of the glory of God. And then he goes on to say, not only this, but, we, but, but, but because we have been made right, because we know we have peace because of what God has done, not because of what we have done in Christ by fulfilling the promise of Christ's coming, we can endure hardship, suffering. Um, we can endure because we understand that that endurance produces character. Character produces, verse 4, hope. That's the thing the enemy's trying to steal. And hope does not put us to shame. And so, Ultimately, what, what Paul is trying to press us into here is he's saying, guys, understand that, that, God, that God has done for us. He is the one who's made us righteous because he's the only one that could. Right Now, now why is that? Because, well, look at verse 23 of chapter 6. Because the wages of sin is death, Paul tells us in chapter 6. So he's saying, the result of our rebellion is we die. What, what happened in the garden, the minute Adam and Eve rebelled, was, was sin entered the world and death came. Their spiritual death came immediately, and the world began to decay from that point forward. And we see evidence of that decay all around us. He says, but the free gift of God, free gift, that's grace, free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Guys, we are justified, we have peace, he gives us hope. We look at, the, the problem is we... The world is still broken. We're still struggling with sin. Look at last time we're going to turn there. Look at Genesis 3, verses 8 through 11. It's, it's worth taking the time to point this out. Because, because I, I mentioned earlier that even though, even though our propensity to rebel is all over this word, right? Like humanity's propensity to be rebellious against what God tells us to do is part of our brokenness. It, it just is. From Adam and Eve forward, and it's still true today, and it's still true in Doug's life, right? It's just, it's just I, I want what I want, and apart from the Spirit of God, I will, I will fight to get what I get, right? And, or I will walk in the power of the Spirit by His grace, right? Those, so, so Paul, but, but, but look at what God's response always is, right from the beginning. So where I left you in Genesis was, um, they ate of the fruit, right? And, she, and then it says, and then their eyes were opened and they both knew that they were naked. So for the first time, they'd been naked all along, but now they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and, and or they, they, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So they're trying to cover up their sin or trying to cover up their shame. Now look at God's response. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Guys, do you see what even that implies? They were made, we are made, you are made for relationship with God. They heard the sound of God walking in the garden because they were familiar with that sound. That was a daily occurrence for them. They were made to be shoulder to shoulder with their creator. So are you. That's why as a Christian, his spirit comes into you. That's what being born again means. You are now shoulder to shoulder, or better probably put, heart to heart with your creator. Because he's indwelling your heart. Right? Don't you know that you are a temple of the living God and the spirit of the living God lives in you, is what Paul says? That's what being a Christian means. But look at what, look at what God does. He doesn't, he, God knows what they've done, but he goes to them and he says, he says and, and the man and the wife, they hid themselves. And I've taught on this many times, so I'm not going to take the time to belabor it, but guys, this, these verses in Genesis massively explain what's going on in our world today. Everything from the politics to the LBGTQ stuff, to, it, is a, it is people racing around 
trying to redefine themselves to cover the shame that is part of our brokenness. We all feel it. We just medicate it in a lot of different ways. And, and ultimately what he's saying is, so, so then he says, but, but look at how God responds. So they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to, called to the man and said, where are you? Now, of course he knew where Adam was. He, he's asking Adam a spiritual question. Adam, where are you? And Adam says, well, we knew we were naked and we were ashamed, so we hid ourselves. Like we, we knew we, didn't, we couldn't be naked in front of you. And, and even then, God knows the answer to the question before he asks it, but he's like, hey, Adam, who? Yeah, I, I just think about like my own life and, and just the shame that even now as a believer, the, the, the enemy just whispers into my ears. It's why, most of the time, it's why I'm broken up here before I come up to teach. Because, but, but, but here's what God says to me. Every time, I'm, I was face down on the floor today, and he's like, who told you? Who told you you were naked, Doug? Are you listening to the enemy again? Don't you know? Don't you know I love you? That's what God says to Adam and Eve. That's what God said, says to me. That's what God says to you. Who told you that? Not, who told you that? Did you do what I told you not to do? That's not God's heart. It doesn't have to be God's heart. He doesn't need to be that God. He's like, who told you that? He knew the answer. He just wants to, he's like, what voice are you listening to, Doug? What voice are you listening to, Jesse? What voice are you listening to, Bob? What voice are you listening to, Kai? What voice? Like, who told you? Because God's in the business of making broken things beautiful. That's why he came. Otherwise, the cross is for nothing. So God always pursues. And that brings us to our next therefore, and these last two go fairly fast. So therefore, nothing can come because God is the one that pursues us. Even our rebellion, if we will, if we will accept his justification... Even our rebellion cannot keep us from God. Right? So ultimately, the next therefore becomes nothing can overcome his righteousness. Nothing can overcome his righteousness because it's his righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness on the cross. So where Paul goes next in Romans chapter 7 is he wants to bring this. So he's saying, okay, we have a righteousness problem. God has to judge it, and we want him to. Oh, by the way, we all are under the bar, so we're all going to get judged, but God applied his righteousness. If you believe in Jesus Christ, God applies his righteousness to you. And then he says, and then he goes, but before I tell you exactly how that application happens in your life, let me tell you a little bit about my story, because I stink. This is what Paul's saying. He's like, I, and he's not just, I stunk. He's like, I, present tense, active voice, I currently smell. Like, I stink. He's like the very thing he, he talks in, in, in Romans 7. Um, let's see, Romans, where was I? Going? Romans 7, I'll uh, just like verse 15. He's like, I don't understand my own actions. I don't, I, do, I don't do what I want to do, and I do the very thing I hate. And he's wrestling, and I said, I did a whole message on this, and you can go back and listen to it. And he's wrestling through this, but then he gets to the very end of that, and he's like, He's like, so if I, if, but if I do this thing that I don't want to do, it's not me, it's sin that dwells in me. And then he gets to this, this point and he's like, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will save me from me? 
And then he says in verse 25, Thanks be to God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that so then I myself serve the law with my mind, but, my, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And, and let's keep reading, because he didn't put a break between verse 25 and what we say is chapter 8, verse 1. There, therefore, there is, this our next therefore, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's reminding himself of that. He's reminding you of that. He's reminding anybody who will follow Christ of that, that there is no shame in Christ because Christ took it. The writer of Hebrews says that he, despising the shame, he endured the cross. He took the shame for us. And then you keep reading in Romans, um, in Romans verse, uh, let's see, in verse, I'm just going to, for the interest of time, I'm going to skip down to, um, to verse 28. So here's kind of how then there's no condemnation. In verse 28 of Romans, he says, And we know that God works all things together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, because those he foreknew he predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son. So, he, so he's the active force in all of this, in order that we might be first among, born among many brothers, and those who he predestined he called, and those who he called he justified, and those who he justified he glorified. What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who in the world can ever be against us? And as if to bring the point home, at the very end of Romans 8, in this great crescendo, he's like, he's, he says, nothing, and several people prayed it, and somebody else was like, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not height, nor depth, not the principalities and the dark places, not world authorities, nothing anywhere, ever, at any time in your life can separate you from the love of Christ once it's been applied to your life. Ever. Just live that way, right? That's what I have to do. Instead of being face down on the floor, I should be face up going, praise the Lord. Your righteousness has been applied to my life. Not because of me, but because you chose, you, you did it. And, and that's even in the, don't turn there, but that's even in the Genesis story. So they, they hide in shame. He comes to them and goes, who told you you're naked? They're trying, to, they're trying to do what we all do, medicate their own shame with fig leaves. Could not have been very comfortable. So what does God do? He kills an animal as a picture of sacrificing his son, Genesis 3.21, and he clothes them. He covers their shame, just like Christ did. Right? That's, that is the story of the gospel. Okay, so, so Derek, how do I get there? Well, Romans 9 talks a lot about the specific details. That's where we left off. That's where we're going to pick it up next week, Lord willing, about kind of how all of this was applied through human history. But then ultimately it gets down to this. Look at Romans 10.9. He says, well, I'll start in verse 8. He says, what, what do we say then about all of this, about how the gospel is applied to our lives? Well, it's by the word of God. It's, in your, it's very near. It's, it's in your heart. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen. He's like, that's the gospel. If you will, if you will believe in the promise. He's, Paul is doing this amazing thing from, from Romans 1 all the way here to Romans 10. He's pulling the whole, this, this whole story forward going, Guys, if you will just believe in the promise of God that he will fix the rebellion. There's only two kingdoms. His and the kingdom of this world. And if you will look to his kingdom and his king, he will transfer you there. Like that is the gospel story. right? That, that is all there is to it. So if you, if you keep going in verse... Um, then he goes on to say, like, so this is so back to where Jeff took us with this idea of pressing the gospel forward. If you look at verse 14, Paul's like, well, verse 13, anyone, anyone, 
and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a pretty open invitation. Anyone and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then, but, how will they call on him they have not believed? And how will they believe in him they have not heard about? And how will they hear unless someone preaches to them? And how will they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, and he quotes Isaiah, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Guys, so, so what is God's story? Like, ultimately, what is God's story? God's story is as mysterious as Romans chapter 9, which we'll get there next week, and as clear as Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. So the question becomes, what do we then do about that? I'm going to invite the music team to come up and I'm just going to read... We're not done. Don't close your Bibles. We're going to do something a little different. I'm going to invite the music team to come up, and, and we're going to go into our time of response here. But it says, in Romans 11, it says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? And who has been his counselor? And who has ever given anything to him that wasn't first from him? For, and then he finishes, he finishes this whole thing about, well, here's what the gospel is. He gets to the very end of this whole story that I've just spent the last 40 minutes talking about. And he says, for from him and through him and to him is everything. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Guys, if the gospel is true, and it is, if the story that, he, that Paul lays out that I just preached to you is true, and it is, it seems like it requires a response from us. Right? Like otherwise, Christ died for nothing. And what are we doing here on a Sunday morning? So with that, I'm going to ask the music team to, to lead us in a song of response. Then I'm going to come back up as the trays are passed. We're going to take communion together. And then I'll finish up with, so what does it look like for your life to be lived for the one who, let you, who gave it to you in the first place? Let me pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord. I pray that, I, I thank you for the beauty of the euangelion, the gospel. Lord, I do want to pray right now that for those hearts um, that have not yet responded to that good news, I pray that today would be the day that they would come to life. And Lord, I pray for those of us that, 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 you, that you would, that, that do know, but, but maybe are, have just gotten kind of tired. Uh, the Lord, the world is wearing us out. But I, want to, I pray that you would remind us that, man, you, you have done not just a lot of work, but you've done all the work. And that because you have done all the work, uh, you will work in us and through us for your good pleasure. So speak to us, even in this time. Continue to speak to us now in Jesus' name.